This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, dear lunchers. Good to have you back for another cracking episode of Out to Lunch. This is where I wine and dine fantastically interesting people and record all the chat. Uh, this time, I'm joined by a comedian who majors in the comedy of embarrassment. It may not sound like a recipe for success, but the shame has gone all right for him. He's travelled the world with his father for TV and is now regularly popping up in big-budget movies, including Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt and the forthcoming Clifford the Big Red Dog. Today, we talk about leaving his parents behind embarrassing himself in front of The Rock and introducing Eva Longoria to Cardiff. It is the fantastic Jack Whitehall. I just like to go up on stage and just shit on myself for an hour and a half. When I was uh, trying to get Jack Whitehall to agree to come on out to lunch, we were talking about dietaries, and he said, well, his girlfriend doesn't eat meat, and he likes eating meat, but he has to hide from her. So I thought I'd take him for a kebab, but a rather special kebab. We're outside a place called Maison Bab in Covent Garden, uh, and it has, just off the kitchen in the basement, it has its own little private dining room uh, where we can eat street food while, you know, keeping our hands clean. Let's go in. Come on in. How cool is this? It's very cool. It's very cool. You can eat a kebab inside. Yeah. Welcome. Well, then outside the restaurant. Have a have a seat. And um, I'm I'm quite impressed by your punctuality. punctuality yeah, 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 yeah. You you I'm literally walk through the door upstairs sure. in at 1:30. <laughs> have a seat. How are you? I'm very well indeed. This is Manu, who will be serving us when hey. the moment comes. How are you? I know you listen to this podcast. Yes. So you know that I pay a lot of attention to the opener question. Yes. That's that very important yeah. question. And I think the opening question to you is, Jack Whitehall, what the fuck do you want? What the fuck do I want? Yeah, because I didn't invite you to do this. You actually stopped me coming out I of the restaurant you. and said, I need to be on your podcast. Yes, I saw you were there for just leisure. You were there I, for your birthday. I was there with a friend for my birthday, yeah. Which I thought was like, I definitely felt like at that moment I picked the right restaurant if you were there for your birthday. Yeah. And I thought, I've won. You had about six or seven friends there. It looked like you were... Yeah, I know. It, it looked... I, I, the word entourage comes to mind. <laughs> I don't know about Entourage, but yeah, that's my crew who now all in our early 30s have decided that instead of meeting up and going to raves, we're going to go to nice restaurants and have a gourmet experience once a month. You've moved into a new stage in your life. Yes, I've moved into a, a different stage in my life where we go and we drink nice wine and eat nice food rather than getting off our tits in nightclubs in Ibiza. <laughs> that chapter is closed. Is it? Okay. So we're talking on the day just after I published rather a noisy review in which there's a guy called Salt Bay a Turkish steak monger who charges hundreds and hundreds of pounds for gold leaf wrapped steaks and rather than reviewing him I took an £8.50 kebab and ate it outside his restaurant at a picnic table because I'm, I'm that guy yeah you shit housed him as the kids would say they might say that I couldn't possibly comment no <laughs> And you messaged me and said, you, you've missed a trick, you should have taken me there. So I, I'm just curious, is there a bit of you that really would like to go to Mr Salt Bay's restaurant and just be taken for a mug? 
I'll tell you what. Go on. I, I also messaged you before and told you that my girlfriend was a vegan. There's also a good link to the Salt Bay because I took her on holiday to Mykonos and I booked this lovely villa, which I didn't realise was next to Salt Bay's restaurant in Mykonos. And it was full of all the sort of trashiest people in Mykonos going in there and paying uh, 200 euros for a burger wrapped in gold leaf. And obviously for a vegan, she's not a huge fan of the Salt Bay sort of ethos to, to eating and meat. You were right by the restaurant. Were you being a by sort of meaty caramelization smells uh, the, at every hour. Yes, there was lots of smells of, of meat wafting into our villa. And she was like, why have you booked a villa? And she called him Murder Bay, which I thought was probably... For, for the record, there is no evidence that uh, he has ever murdered anybody. No. Although meat is murder. So no. The message you sent me, which was obviously private and confidential, but I'll read obviously, it anyway. Yeah. My girlfriend's a vegetarian, so that's Roxy, yeah? Yeah, let's get her name out there yeah, as well. Roxy Horner. Um, I hope you're listening, Roxy. So whenever I get the chance to eat away from her judgmental gaze, I tend to go full carnivore. So let's dodge the quinoa and have a clandestine meat binge. Maybe I'll have to use a pseudonym so she never discovers it. Thanks for keeping this clandestine. And so that's what I've hoped to do. So if you pull over there, there's a menu there okay. uh, for your meat binge. So this is like bougie kebabs? It is like bougie kebabs, yeah. I, I love mean, that. And I have to say, Turkish Korean fried chicken. If you look on uh, on the right, there are the kebabs. Oh my god, a meat butter naan. That's going to happen. Meaty yeah. garlic butter. That has to happen. Um, um, I like anything that shouldn't really have meat near it, but they've <laughs> managed to bring meat into the equation. Okay. Like when they slip and do you into something, I'm a sucker for that. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by the pronunciation of India because that trips a lot of people up. Um, also, you have to pronounce it right, but if you pronounce it too right, you also sound like a dick. Yes. So you have to get it right, but if you lean into the accent if, too yeah, much, you're awful. If you try and come across as some sort of southern Italian... Yeah. Yeah. So we won't be doing that. Oh, we could have... Let's see, she, she could have come here. Well, Vegan dirty bab. Yeah, she could have done. But Roxy weren't invited, so that's <laughs> fine. Um, <laughs> should we just order a load of stuff? Yeah, let's order a load of stuff. So, Manu, fried chicken, meat butter naan... Uh-huh. How do you feel about hummus with peanut curry, pesto and flatbread? Yes, I'd be up for some hummus. Now, these shawarmas, can they be wrapped in gold? Uh, no, they can't be wrapped oh, in gold, okay. you ponce. <laughs> I'm going to get a pork ribeye shawarma. And I will have what's called the dirty bab. I'm a bit suspicious of attaching moral words to food, because mm. food is just food. And uh, all kebabs are dirty, really. Well, they're all... They're, only, they're as clean as the person who eats them. <laughs> Should we get a, a, a large green salad? Yes. And some fries? Yeah. Could I recommend the fondue with the fries? Yeah, you can yeah, recommend yeah. that. We'll go with that. Are you drinking? Um, I'm yeah. doing a show this evening with my mum and dad. Now, if I was doing a show on my own, I probably would say, no, I'm not drinking, but because it's with them, I might have a drink, because it would take the beer. edge off what that experience. Want? What do you fancy? A beer feels appropriate. There you go. I will get a um, pale ale, please. Sure. I'm going to be really naff and just, can I have a white wine spritzer, please? So you are right in the middle of book promotion. Yes. Because you've, you've got one out. And this is a book written about going on holiday with your family, with yeah. both your mum and dad. You've done a series, well, how many series? Five? Five, yeah. Five for travels with your dad. And you've also done a chat show with your dad. Mm. And then there was the biography that you wrote, which he basically also wrote and mm. corrected you on your memory. Mm. I can't get rid of them. 
Can you not? No. I mean, I am curious about this. Every time I try. This book, was I was just going to write it on my own, and then I sent it to my mum and dad. I was like, you should probably take a look at this, because you get thrown under the bus a fair amount. They were just there to sort of check it. Within a couple of weeks, they were firing back ideas for chapters. My mum started sending back recipes. I was like, this is a book about holidays. Why have you sent me back a butternut squash soup recipe? But yeah, they managed to somehow crowbar their way back into what was going to be a solo venture, but I just can't shake them. You're now 33. I know, I'm too you're th- old. You're 33, yes. okay. So, I mean, you know, this, this is what <laughs> I'm I, this is the service I can perform for. Yeah, I think. think this is the intervention. This is the intervention. I definitely, you know, had said that's it after the final series of travels. It's done now. Um, wanted to focus more on acting. Um, I had these films that have come out this year, which I've been waiting for them to come out for a while. And then I was like, oh, that bloody book that I wrote is coming out straight away. And I've gone from being on the red carpet in Hollywood with. Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt to being on stage in Cheltenham asking my mother what she packs in her beach bag when she goes on holiday. And it felt like somewhat of a backstep career-wise. There's a, a, another point, which is your dad, Michael, famously uh, was an agent. Mm. So when all of this starts getting tied up, does he then start calling your agent saying, well, obviously, oh, all I'm the going time. to need a cut. Yeah. I mean, seriously, does he? He does a lot of backseat agenting. But he, uh, yes, he, he, he gets paid for... For, for travels everything. with my father and for everything, yeah. We, Does he we negotiate have his own cut? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So when you'd written this book, you got the book deal to write this book about, you know, going on holiday with your family. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you mistakenly send it to your parents. Yeah. And then they're actually taking money off your advance. 100%, yeah. Not only I mean, are they writing the it... What are you doing? <laughs> this is... And, I mean, and, you, and then I've got to negotiate not only with my dad. We talk about regressing. The minute you're having a conversation with your dad, you regress back into being about 12 years old again. So I'm negotiating with him from you know the mental state of a 12-year-old, and he's a ruthless negotiator and an agent that prides so, himself on so walking away from a deal. So you have to negotiate your cut from it? With him? Yes, there's an awkward conversation always whenever we do anything together where he calls me up and was like, so how should we split this one? And I'm like, oh, I I don't know, I guess you could do it, you know, 50-50. He's like, but your mother's involved this time. I was like, damn it, he's got me. Are you saying your parents have got two-thirds of this book? I got two-thirds of this book. Seriously, or are you... you no, maybe I got a little bit more. You see, maybe I got a little bit more. Here's now I come to think of it. I, I, I scribbled a note. You're, you're, you know, I have notes and I scribbled yeah. notes on the wall. One of the ones I scribbled here is, she's a trained actress. He's an agent. You're a comedian. I'm not the entire family basically skilled in the art, art of... Uh, I think the polite word is dissembling. Yeah. As in, you're all skilled liars skilled liars yeah yeah i mean i i see myself as a professional liar that's what i do i embellish and there's a as a family of dissemblement so if someone was to wonder aloud whether what we read in the books mm. what we see on the screen was entirely accurate would that be an un, or, or a performance piece I would say when we do the show, Travels with My Father, obviously there's an element of it that's constructed reality because we're travelling around the world and we have to create... Like Made in Chelsea. I would like to think that it's slightly elevated above The Only Way is Essex. The Only Way is um, Putney. Oh, here comes your beer. I'm intrigued by the childhood. And I think I sent you a message at one point saying we probably had a similar sort of experiences Mm. because I grew up with various household names traipsing through the house and turning Mm. up for tea and coffee Mm. Uh, a hell of a list Nigel Havers Richard Griffiths who was also your godfather were you aware 
that it was an unusual childhood in that way? I'd say I, I was. By the time I was, yeah, in my sort of teens, I think it was coming towards the end of his time as an agent. I was still very much like in and amongst that world and going and seeing plays and meeting old clients of his backstage and um, having visits to film sets to so meet you're Richard going, Griffiths. you going to see shows in the West End and then, uh, to, are we going back? Yeah. And you'd always go back? Uh, yeah, I mean, if it was Nigel Havers, then... You know, he was my godfather, so that was. Those were the moments when I got to see him. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of other has social he, get-togethers. Has he, to cross, has he asked you onto his new segment on this morning on ITV, which might have been called Out to Lunch with Nigel Havers until I intervened? <laughs> you're, you're shaking oh, your I head. I feel so bad now. <laughs> I just realised I, I didn't do it, and I'm doing this, and he's going to be so upset. Well. It's fair to say <sighs> that you're doing the original. There's your revenge. You've got his godson on yours. <laughs> and I haven't even done his. I'm I mean, never getting a birthday present again. He may not have been necessarily the most present of your godfathers. Although he did turn up at your birth in a dinner jacket. So he did turn up my birth in a dinner jacket. No, he was present. And I, and I, you know, I did see a fair amount of Nigel and saw a lot of Richard. And these were people that were an important part of my life. And, that, and I was, like, very much, like... You know, bitten by that bug of seeing what they did and going and you know watching them on stage and and being enamoured of it and and realising that I would definitely want to do that as soon what as was I could. It that attracted you? Seeing someone like Richard on stage and watching him, Richard Griffiths, yeah, right. Richard Griffiths, and watching him like command an audience and and milk an audience for every laugh that there was going and uh, seeing you know that like live experience for me was so exciting so please go and look up Richard Griffiths if you don't know who he is start with Whitnell and I yes playing Uncle Monty Uncle Monty yeah and he was a very <laughs> funny man as well in real life very you know uh, eccentric and interesting and interested and, and we had these amazing phone conversations where he would be on the other end of the phone for sometimes an hour and regaling me with stories and jokes and uh, that's not just taking your duties as a godfather seriously that's liking went, you yeah I felt like of all of my dad's friends and even maybe sometimes my dad when I was growing up, like of all of them, I felt like Richard like liked me and I felt that he treated me like an adult even when I wasn't an adult and um, we shared a sense of humour. Um, he wrote to you a lot as well, didn't he? But yeah. Very proper, serious letters. Yeah, he wrote these incredible letters. They were amazing and they were written again to an adult but I was two years old and he was talking to me about if I ever wanted to run away the spots that I should go to and that he would create <laughs> a little running away fund where, and where did he recommend I think there was various seaside towns that he'd visited when he was on tour and he was giving me advice life advice um like that and then mocking my father maybe that's where I <laughs> picked up on uh that which became a sort of uh, running theme throughout my stand-up career but Richard certainly um was pretty merciless when he needed to be uh but yeah i i had a a, a really v like rich and incredible relationship with him getting the time frame right he did live to see the beginnings of your success didn't he only the beginnings of my success and and i always have a pang of regret that i never had the opportunity to work with him um i've never done a play i would absolutely love to one day do a play in the West End and the idea of doing a play with him and being on stage mm -hmm. with him would have just been the dream and I feel very upset that I didn't get the opportunity to do that. Don't, don't hold back, Manu. <laughs> so guys, this is your meat and bottom one. Okay. That looks like a naan that's sort of been dredged through the gravy. Mm. It looks like it's been... Great. 
put on the bottom of the, the yeah. donna on the spit. It does. So there you are growing up with all of this going on. Your parents send you off to boarding school when you were 11. Yes. Did that feel at the time like a rejection? I mean, at 11, I think I was very upset and I wanted to remain at my school, but I was not doing very well at my school. I had a very lucky experience. I really enjoyed my time. Yeah, came back a couple of times a term when the nanny would take over and then back to I school mean, again. Said, there, there are a lot of people who would look at the English upper middle classes, that's where I'm placing you. Yeah. And think, what is this about? Yeah. There's your mum knocking you out while Nigel Havers watches in a dinner jacket. Was he actually in the delivery room, Nigel? He was definitely there in the hospital. He arrived far quicker than they thought he was going to arrive. Nigel Havers at your cervix. Nigel Havers at your cervix. (laughs) In a dinner jacket. It's the first thing that I saw. Could you send my was the charmer when you see it? <laughs> just apologise that I actually referenced her, her cervix. Well, she'll be delighted. Will she? Yeah, she loves to mention. Does she? Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of which body part it is. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. <laughs> she'll be happy that her cervix is getting an airing. Okay. By any means oh. possible. <laughs> we shouldn't have done this when the food was here. We should have done this before. Should we? Discussion of... Well, uh, if I just put you off your lunch, have some fried chicken, it's great. You've been spending too much time with Miriam Margulies. Try some chicken, yep. I insist. Because if you don't, I'll just take the rest. Yep. You've, you've made the point that um, you've ridden the hobby horse of being at school with Robert Pattinson into the sunset. Yes. As we're sitting here, the, the trailers for Cliff of the Big Red Dog were finally released. Yeah. At the same time as Robert Pattinson's trailers for Batman came out. You- Maybe Clifford will be my twilight, you know, this is how I start. Mm curled around the room by a 10-foot CGI dog. And I'm just waiting for all of these superheroes and with Bond as well, yeah. for them to revert back to thinking we've had like the dark brooding version of all of these heroes. Now we want the Roger Moore take, where it's a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. A little bit posh. A little, little bit. bit posh, you know, throwing in a few more one-liners and then that's when I'm going to come into my own. Can I tell you one quick funny story that I think you will enjoy? Yeah, no, About absolutely. Robert Pattinson. He went to my school and also uh, Emma Watson went to my school, Tom Hiddleston went to my school. Oh, All these same people. Time or? No, no, different times. All right. And whenever my school gets written about in the newspapers, it's always their names. And it, they always talk about Robert Pattinson's school or Emma Watson's school. And I'm like their dirty little secret. And I always get very upset that... I have clearly not achieved enough to be named in the same breath as yeah. Emma Watson, Tom Hiddleston, Robert Pattinson. And about a year and a half ago, careful what you wish for, yeah. there was a news story about a teacher at my former school uh, who had been arrested for having inappropriate pornography on his laptop. And in the Daily Mail, there was an article that said, teacher at Jack Whitehall's former school arrested. <laughs> he did not teach me. I don't think I was there at the school when he was a teacher. There was a so, picture so when of me in the, up the school as a, a source of talent. It's Tom yeah. Hiddleston, it's Emma Watson, yeah. it's Rob Patterson. But when they're being up <laughs> the school as a cesspit a of den of iniquity, of, that's when that's they intone when I, your name. Exactly. Let's get a picture of Jack out. And I looked all wounded in this picture as well. <laughs> like I was his sordid muse. I'd never met the man. I was like, where's Tom Hiddleston now? <laughs> You mentioned Emma Watson. So were you there, or was it a little bit before, when you auditioned for Harry Potter? And was she there at the same time? Yeah, it's a, it's a nice story, because I think it's a story where nepotism doesn't win the day, because I was 
whatever, 12 years old. Yeah. And they had this open casting process for Harry Potter where they were going to go around a load of the schools, including my school. And I told my dad, I was like, oh, this is so exciting. Um, they're coming to cast for Harry Potter. And he went, oh, no, no one ever gets cast from those. We need to get in front of the casting director. Pulled me out of school, drove me down to London, got me in there with the casting director, went in, had a private one-on-one -on -one because dad had pulled some strings. Absolutely flunked it. I don't think I'd read the whole book. I wasn't a very good actor when I was a child. Very awkward. Um, didn't get the part. And then two weeks later, they cast Emma Watson from the open casting now, at the school. Now, had you told your colleagues at school that you were off for this casting meeting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've gone big. Of course. You told people. I was like, it's just a formality. You it's know. Just I'm just going down to London to meet the, the casting director and, and Mia's probably going to go out for lunch. She'll talk to me about dates. Multi-picture deal. How did you find out that you hadn't got a part or any part at all? Silence. Although, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, actually, I absolutely nailed that audition and then Michael went in and asked for too much money. And they were like, we don't want this kid anywhere near the production. I mean... This monstrous father. Let's be absolutely clear what you're saying here. You wouldn't be surprised if you got the part instead of Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. And that they only decided not to cast you because your father had sabotaged your career yeah, by yeah. asking for... I think that's a good way of, re like, reframing this. Yeah, let's reframe it. But then, so there you, there you are, living through the silence, maybe occasionally phoning home and yeah. saying anything from Harry yeah. Potter, and then word goes round, as it must do in a school mm. like that. Emma Watson in class 2B yeah. has been cast as Hermione. Hermione. Did you go and congratulate her? Of course I did. I did was you? very gracious about the whole thing. I was like, I'm really, really happy for you. And then Robert Pattinson got cast in Twilight, and again, I was delighted. Well, he was cast in Twilight after actually also being in Harry Potter. Oh, yes, of course. He was in that first. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking, you know what? Just wait. One day yeah. I will be and then doing Clifford the Big Red Dog. Okay. And you'll all be laughing on the other side of your faces. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You went, to, you went to Manchester to study art, history. Yeah. Uh, seven months, eight months? Yeah, seven, eight months. Was I it was... hard, though, to drop out? I mean, it's, it's quite a thing. Easiest decision I've ever made in my life, honestly. Yeah. I didn't really even want to go. And the minute I started doing regular gigs and stand-up, I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm seeing through this course. When did you start finding you? At the beginning, the thing that made me different from anyone else on the bill was that I was 18 and they weren't. And that right. was my angle. And it was all about living at home with mum and dad. And what, it, what age did you drop that from your act, Jim? Uh, still in it. Still in it. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. But I'm hoping when Clifford the Big Red Dog comes out, <laughs> yeah, that's that'll it. be You're when. You're going to get lots. Yeah, get lots. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, that was my first, um, that was my first kind of, uh, so the, my act 
like my voice because you have to have your voice as a comedian and and then that sort of developed into my persona now which is I guess more about my class and my background which is the angle that I have on stage that's different to the other people on the bill. It's kind of funny isn't it that we've got to a point where being sort of posh from a sort of background is now a USP. Uh, Yeah it probably isn't now. Which is why I'm probably not doing any more stand-up. So is that it? Do you think stand-up is possibly over for you? I certainly felt like after the last tour, I was like, I don't. Th- I need to stop for a bit because I don't feel like I have anything to say or add to the discourse and I am bored of the sound of my own voice and I just want to go away and live my life a bit and have some more experiences and write and come back with something more interesting to talk about. I watch a lot and wondered whether it was fair to describe it as the comedy of embarrassment. Yeah, I love the comedy of embarrassment. You know, anything that can, like, pull away at my status and and any way that I can pour shame upon myself and humiliate myself. It's better, isn't it? Do the comedy of embarrassment successfully and you'll actually raise yourself up. I just like to go up on stage and just shit on myself for (laughs) an hour and a half. And I really enjoy having that... um, relationship with an audience and and feeling like I'll share anything with them. Has there, uh, firstly, has there ever been a point when you've come off and thought, why have I told them that? Never about myself. I've never done a story on stage and thought, oh, should I have said that? It's only ever been when it's involved somebody else. And I've been like, oh, are they going to be okay about family members? Friends, family, ex-girlfriend. You did a whole load of comedy about your breakup with your yeah. previous girlfriend. Yeah. And I and did, I did she kick back on that? No, I regretted it because I didn't I didn't deal with it in the right way, and I should have spoken to her sooner about t- talking about it because I respect her, and 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 it ended up getting out into the world because a, a journalist from the Sun was in a comedy club in Los Angeles randomly on holiday. What? So you thought if I'm on a in a comedy club in Los, Los Angeles, Angeles, I can doing say a new whatever, material, doing new material, yeah, try out building at eleven o'clock at night. You'd be fine. I didn't think that someone from the Sun would be in there and write a lot of what I was saying stripped of context and without any of the punchlines. So back to your point about do I worry, but I do probably now worry a lot more. Uh, Many kebabs are uh, are arriving our way. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is what I promised you. Elevated night out food. Elevated night out food at Maison Bab. Is this um, thing of slipping chips into kebabs, is that a new thing or has that always been... No, there are, the parts of, there are parts of the country um, and various social milieu, Jack, where kebabs, uh, chips in a, in a kebab yeah, but bar. it's a standard practice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Chip wrap. I just feel like I've seen a lot more of it recently. I mean, not, Maybe it's just got down to not, London. Not necessarily in Putney. Have you been to um, Me. Chip Alley in Cardiff? No, I haven't. You should go. Chip Alley? I did um, Decline and Fall, where we filmed in Cardiff. And... Uh, we cast Eva Longoria in it, and she, I think, didn't realise that Cardiff was in Wales. She certainly didn't realise that Cardiff was that far away from London. She thought she was going to stay in like some lovely, swanky London hotel, have dinners out with all of her friends. She arrived in Cardiff and got a rude awakening. And this then Eva Longoria of Desperate, Desperate Housewives. Yeah, she was great and really entered into the spirit of things, but couldn't find a restaurant that was quite up to the standards of Beverly Hills in Cardiff until one day she came onto set 
and she said, oh my God, I found it. I found the most incredible little Italian. I went there last night. The owner, I think it's family owned. He was so charming and I had the best pasta I have ever had anywhere in the world. Oh God, I'm waiting for the, the what, what was it's the It's called, called Pizza Express. <laughs> I promise you, she said Pizza Express, and she'd been in a little Pizza Express in Cardiff and thought she'd found this incredible, authentic Italian what was, sloppy what was Giuseppe. The, yeah, I was say, what was the Eva Longoria pizza of choice? She probably had one of those Leggera ones where they cut the hole in yeah, the middle. Yeah, and fill it full of rocket. Fill it full and of rocket. And then tell you that it's 500 and a half the calories. Um, she had the no-calorie one, which is just a plate. <laughs> That's the Hollywood diet. How did you end up doing Travels with My Father? How did your father get drawn in? Was it one interview you did with him and somebody said there's a real chemistry there? The first one was up at Edinburgh and they were coming up for the weekend and the producer of my show, Ben Cavey, who's produced lots of my stuff and knew my family very well, said, we should do a chat show and Daddy could be on stage as well. He calls him daddy as well, which is weird. Um, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's even weird that you were 33 I know, I know, I know, daddy. I know. Oh, God. Okay. Someone from the BBC was literally in the room and said, we've got to do this as a pilot. And we genuinely, you know, it wasn't like biting their hand off in any sense. It was like, do we actually want to do this? You're not a performer. And he was very aware of that. He'd never been anywhere other than like the south of France. You see, the thing is, I, I do look at it, I've done quite a lot of factual documentary, and I look at that stuff and I think, bloody hell, that must be grueling. Can you do that again? Can you yeah. walk through that door? Can you give us a walking shot? Can you? Oh, God, he hates the walking shots. I'm the trying. walking shots and the drones, the amount of times. He's like, David Lee never had any fucking walking shots. He never had drive-up shots. He hated shooting cars arriving. There's always some reference to David Lee. And I was like, I don't think we're I'm, making that kind of I thing. Can I point out that there is an opening shot in Lawrence of Arabia by David Lee, which is a five-minute shot of a camel walking into the camera? It's bollocks, but no-one questions him on it. And he's just trying to not be put into a tuk-tuk. Again, I'd say it's the comedy of embarrassment, the two of you. Yeah. You in the company of a man who might say something appalling at any one, yeah. at any minute. Quite a lot of bedroom scenes. Yeah. You scratching your balls. Yeah. Five seasons. At some point, did you not think of? Well, that's enough. It's possibly the same joke over and over again. I don't know. We. I, I think after the third one, I wasn't going to do it again. And they upped the money, didn't they? They did not up the money. My schedule cleared up quite significantly with the pandemic and um, all of my films being delayed and there was an opportunity to do one last hurrah so we thought you know what uh, let's do it and it was it was great it was the best experience I've had doing it because I hadn't seen him for a year it was so pleased to be in their company it was nice to have some closure so no more stand-up and no more hanging out with your parents yes I'm, I'm definitely gonna try and now sort of focus on the things that I've been trying to focus on for the last and have been you know well it has to be said doing some know, other stuff Jungle Cruise a massive film how many auditions did you have to do for that I had to do a lot of auditions you might almost be said to be playing a younger version of your dad in a fish out of water yeah. wandering around going I need to bring a dinner jacket and yeah. cocktail shakers yeah it was it was it was it was very much in that wheelhouse and so I did an audition I got like fully dressed up in a three-piece suit. I filmed it in my kitchen at home and I borrowed one of my dad's hats. My mum came over to do the audition with me because 
she's an actress and she's very good at doing self-tapes with me because she can deliver a line properly and is, takes direction very well. So we did these scenes, including one scene where she had to play The Rock, and I had her <laughs> off-screen doing The Rock's parts. Um, I was like, you know, you're playing Dwayne Johnson in this scene, and she really tried to, like, <laughs> so commit to Hillary the voice. Hillary giving... Uh, did she? Yeah, she really she committed the voice. She was trying to go really deep. I was like, okay, maybe just take the edge off it a little bit because he probably will be watching this. So yeah, I sent all of those off and then I got flown out. I was in filming Charles with my father. No. We were in Eastern Europe and they called me and they said um, they wanted to do a screen test with you and five other actors. So Charles and my father was just about to start. My dad was absolutely furious. Flew out to New York, arrived without having had any sleep, and then went in and did this audition with Emily and I... Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, who was amazing. And the minute I walked in, like, completely put me at ease and was very charming and friendly, and I improvised a lot in the audition, and she went with it. And then literally had to go from the audition. There was a car waiting outside, get back in the car, drive back to the airport, flew back to Budapest and arrived in Budapest and was filming off the plane. And then I was in a nightclub in Romania uh, with some of the crew because I couldn't hack not knowing anymore. And I went to go and get drunk with all of them and got a call at one o'clock in the morning and they said, you've got the part. And I bought everyone in the club to drink. And literally everyone in the I club? I mean, everyone. I was tr- what was, like, your, bit, what was your bar were, bill at the end? It was astronomical. But you'd just been cast as, frankly, the third lead in... Yeah. In a a, a Dwayne Johnson movie. Who was my hero. Like, I was obsessed with him. I was obsessed with wrestling. I watched WWE all the time. When did you first meet him, then? The first day was that scene in the movie, if anyone's seen it, where he's chucking all of my luggage into the dock. Where was that filmed? It was in Hawaii. So I'd flown out to Hawaii, and I walked onto the biggest movie set that I'd ever seen in my life and walked down to do this scene that was a two-hander with me and Dwayne. And on that day, I'd been like, just whatever you do, like, remember to be professional and don't turn yourself into a fan. 15 minutes, I was like, so what's Stone Cold Steve Austin like? What's <laughs> <laughs> you know that WrestleMania fight you had against him? Like, were you actually injured? And he was one of those people where, because wrestling is his passion, that's what he grew up doing and he loves it. Like he was over the moon to talk about it. And we spoke like that, that was the breakthrough was that I realized we could talk about wrestling. And then maybe I took it too far because later in that day, I'd been talking to Emily Blunt and I was talking to her and I was like, yeah, he's the most amazing wrestler ever. He has this move um, called the rock bottom. And she's like, what's the rock bottom? It's like, basically it was like his finishing move. It's easier if I show you. And I literally put her arm over my shoulder and started demonstrating the rock bottom, at which point he, who was about like 100 metres away, turned around and looked up and pointed at us and mouthed, are you doing the rock bottom? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I was sorry. I was just showing her the, the finisher. And Clifford the Big Red Dog, um, it's very hard to tell from the trailer, weirdly, but I'm guessing you're playing American, aren't you? Yes, I'm playing American, playing Uncle Casey. And that's another very big film. Yeah. That, in a very different way. Yeah. I think it's a really sweet film and it's got some really nice, it's got like David Allen Greer, um, John Cleese, Rosie Perez, Keenan Thompson's got really great like comic ensemble. So John Tony Cleese Hale. was one of your heroes. Yeah. And now you're on the set with him. Oh. How was he? Jay, the first time I met him was, it was so insane. I was on set and they hadn't told me and I was doing this scene where, um, 
I go for a job interview and I mess it up and I'd added in this whole like physical set piece that I'd been working on for days and, and this was now my moment to kind of film it and I had done a couple of takes and I went round to the monitor to talk to the director to see whether he thought that we got it and John Cleese was sat there with his cans on watching it and he looked up and gave me a thumbs up and I was like... <laughs> It's the most surreal experience ever. He came to a stand-up show of mine in New York. Oh, did he? Yeah. What did he say after? He sits at the back of the room, and the, because of the way the audience was lit, and he's like six foot ten, mm. like all, all you, you could see, see was him. Silhouette. Of yeah, him. just see him throughout the whole routine. And I was going to do new material, and the minute I stepped on, I was like, I'm doing all the old classics. And even managed to weave in a reference to Forty Towers, because I had a story about a waiter and referenced that he had been from Barcelona to give him a little, uh, you know, Easter egg. But the way you're describing everything, you know, Jungle Cruise, because of Big Red Dog, there are other films. Um, there's a sci-fi rom-com involving robots. Yes. Has that been made or is that...? I, yeah, I've just finished filming that, yeah. Okay. Uh, what's that one called? It's called Robots. Is it? Okay. Yes. It's all going really well, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, but for the moment, the wheels could fall off at any moment. I'm definitely making sure that I'm moving in the right direction and... Is that a bit of a disease, the ambitious, that rather than living in the moment and enjoying the thing as it's happening, there's a bit of your head going, what next? Definitely. I'm, I'm really caught now between like what my, ne what my next move will be and what the next project I will do will be. Well, the what does uh, Michael Whitehall think you should be doing, given his long history in the theatre and acting? And, or do you try to avoid asking him? No. He actually did give me advice, and it's, it's actually quite touching. He said, follow the money. Whatever pays you the most. <laughs> I got you. No, he didn't say that. He didn't uh, say that. Well, I would have been. I would have thought. Good agent. No, no. Uh, he he's good. He's a good sounding board. I often send him. I always send him whatever script comes in. <laughs> the contract. Dessert will head our way if we want it. Although yeah. you're only actually halfway through your kebab. My dirty vegan kebab. Yeah, yeah it's, it's if Roxy's, made with pork, if Roxy's still listening. Ribeye, yeah. it's, no, it's tofu, ribeye. isn't it? Uh, 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 no, Jack, yeah. it is. Mm, whatever you're trying to tell Roxy. Uh, but I will say, Jack Whitehall, thank you very much for letting, letting me take you out to lunch. Thank you very and, uh, much. And no pressure from you whatsoever. Thank you very much. It was a delight. I am so glad that Jack stopped me that night and asked if he could come on the podcast. He is the perfect person to eat kebabs with. And his book, co-written with his parents, Hillary and Michael Whitehall, is called How to Survive Family Holidays. Uh, thank you so much the team at Maison Bab in Covent Garden. Uh, and we politely urge you to go onto Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Do tell all your friends about us. It really does help us to make more. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Reckenberg. The Recording and mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producer is Selena Reem. And the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time, it's the intrepid explorer, Simon Reeve. He actually came up to me one day when I was sorting the post and said, I need you to go to Boston to find two South African neo-Nazi terrorists who are on the run. <laughs> what? I haven't got a passport, what am I going to do? And then Peter, the chief investigative guy, said, calm down, Simon, it's Boston in Lincolnshire. Okay? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs>